We'll read again Luke 17, 17. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Jesus asked those two questions. I have some questions. First question would be, who is or who was this one that Jesus referred to as a stranger? The second question is, who were these nine? But first we should answer Jesus' question best we can. The first question that Jesus asked, were there not ten cleansed? He's asking this question to those who were in his audience. Early in the chapter, uh, we read that he spoke to his disciples. And then, a short time later, his apostles asked him to increase their faith. So his audience was not perhaps a broad audience, but did include some disciples and apostles. So when he asked the question, were there not ten cleansed? They obviously saw what had just taken place and could count. I don't think he was asking the question to confirm what he already knew, that there were ten there. He perhaps was asking the question to emphasize in a bit the power of appreciation and thanksgiving to God. So to answer the first question, were there not ten cleansed? The answer is yes. I like yes or no questions or questions that demand a yes or no answer. And the the answer was clearly um, ten. And then the second question, where, where are the nine? We know the one is here. Where are the nine? Well, we can't answer that one as well. I'm not sure they could either. Maybe they answered that question if if it was demanding an answer, which it probably wasn't, but they were certainly not present. So the nine are not here. Where are they? Well, they were told to go show themselves to the priests, so uh, we hope they're on their way to do that. But we we have questions. First, who is this stranger? We understand that he's referred to as a stranger because he was a Samaritan, and the Samaritans were a mixed-race people, uh, descendants of uh, Jacob, but were not, in the eyes of the Jewish people, a pure people genealogically because of the fact that they had intermarried. But that said, they certainly had an awareness of the fact that the Messiah was coming. We learned that from the woman at the well, that she was at Jacob's well. And uh, Jesus said to her, give me to, to drink. She was startled that this Jewish man would ask her for a drink, being a Samaritan. So that uh, conflict certainly was evident and acknowledged. But Jesus replied, if you knew who it was that spoke to you or who it is that is speaking to you, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Well, the conversation went on and she said to him, I know the Messiah will come. So they knew that. This was early in Jesus' ministry. 
So now this account is later in Jesus' ministry. Perhaps three years had had passed, but when the, the woman, the adulterous woman, went into the city and declared to them, come see a man that told me all that I ever did. And we read um, in John's Gospel that they went out of the city and they came unto him. And many of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. But as they, they believed, they besought Jesus to tarry with them for two days. So he did. And we're left with more questions. We, we know that many more believe because of his word. They, they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of your report, but we've heard him for ourselves. Or ourselves. And we know that this indeed is Christ, the Savior of the world. So this, three years later, this, this leprous man, was he there? Three years earlier? Was he a leper then? Or did he contract leprosy during that intervening three-year period? Were his parents there? It wasn't done in a corner. The gospel's not hid. Everyone at some point in time is becomes aware of the power of Jesus and what he can do and what he does. Well, those are not questions that demand a yes or no answer. Um, so maybe in heaven we'll find out more. Was he healed at the same well or the same general area as the well? We don't know, but but uh, we do know a little bit about him in that of the ten, he was the one who came back upon seeing that he was healed and gave thanks to God. On his knees, he fell on his face before Jesus and did that. But what about the nine? What were their names? Backgrounds. Why did they they call out to this one who was passing by. They didn't call out to everyone. They had an awareness. These, in contrast to the stranger who was called so because he was a Samaritan, these were Jewish people. So they had uh, been brought up in the New Testament vernacular in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They knew Jewish history. They knew uh, what it was to uh, have their parents speak to them about uh, the gospel, if you would call it that way under the law, from in the morning and at midday, midday in the evening. They knew Jewish history. They knew uh, about the flood. They knew about the Red Sea. They knew about Daniel and the den of lions. They also knew what was demanded of them having contracted uh, leprosy. So they, they must have heard about this Messiah. Otherwise, they would not have crawled out the way they, they did. These ten stood afar off. We see, we see that ten were healed in this account, but only one was made whole. Ten were touched in the body, and they left happy. They certainly did. 
but one was touched in the body and soul. That's what it is in New Testament language to be made whole. It's one thing to be physically healed and another to be spiritually or morally healed. This one went his way with thanks to God because of what had transpired not only on the outside, but also what had occurred within. All ten of them, in the beginning, they stood afar off. That was demanded of them once pronounced as leprous. Leviticus 13 declares that a leper shall dwell alone without the camp or outside the camp shall be his habitation. His clothes shall be rent, torn, his head bare to help uh, mitigate the, the spread of this disease. And he shall put a covering upon his upper lip. That sounds familiar. And shall cry, this doesn't sound familiar, unclean, unclean. So there they are, outside. And leprosy is a metaphor for sin. Sin, likewise, is is marked by harmful traits. It's less obvious at times. We don't declare it or announce it when we are sinners. The leper, unclean, unclean, the sinner does not declare sinner, sinner. So sin isn't so evident on the exterior. It can be, but it often isn't. It conceals itself. It conceals itself like like a hook that is underneath the worm in front of a hungry fish. That's why they call it bait. That's what temptation is. It's bait. It looks appealing, alluring. It's tempting. And you don't know until you bite into it that you've made a dreadful mistake. Intentionally so, however, we don't, unlike a fish, unwittingly uh, taking the bait, we, at a certain point in time, are checked by the Spirit of God and intentionally take that bite for perhaps, at times, momentary uh, satisfaction. But um, if there's any at all, it's very fleeting. Leprosy separated one from society. Sin leaves us estranged from God. Leprosy isolated the the leper from the village. Sin keeps us out of heaven. It keeps us out of fellowship before we get to heaven. Leprosy is a disease. Sin is a choice, a conscious decision to go against what you know God would have you to do. The Bible defines it in a variety of ways. Sin is a transgression of the law, the Bible says, that being the law of love, love for God and love for uh, your neighbor. 
The Bible declares that he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So there has to be a, a conscious, a deliberate intent to go against God and what is known to be God's will. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. If you can't say, God bless it, God go with me as I do this or think this, then it's not of faith. Those are the ones that, that come to mind. There's one or two more clear definitions in Scripture or two that don't come to mind, but it's a choice. Each, whether it be leprosy or sin, it begins small. Think leprosy. It begins with a spot on the skin and incrementally spreads until it consumes the whole of the body. So it is with sin. It's very subtle. It's very seductive. It starts out small, just the bite of an apple. But pretty soon, and very soon, in the case of Adam and Eve, the human race, and they in particular, were plunged into a state of being separate from God. Your sins, Isaiah said, have separated between you and God. It has destructive power, sin does. So did leprosy. Leprosy is highly contagious, which is why they were banned to outside the city. It spreads from the outside in even to the point uh, where it infected the surroundings, the clothes, the uh, homes, the walls of the homes. So drastic action had to be uh, taken. Uh, sin is not contagious, although evil communications corrupt good works. So it, it certainly can have an influence, but you don't catch sin like you catch cold. So it's not contagious, but it's not self-contained either. It negatively impacts all we touch and everywhere we go. It spreads from the inside out, unlike leprosy that is from the outside in. We are born with that Adamic nature. And early in life, we make choices. And even if we have what some declare of themselves to have had a, a sensitive conscience, they, at a point in time, defied God. Maybe in the form of defying their parents or telling a lie or whatever. And if, if, uh, if they were really uh, made good decisions early on, they asked God to forgive them of their sins and were saved young and stayed saved the rest of their life. Even at that, many later in life, um, reach a point where they feel the need to confirm what occurred earlier. And some of us were a little slower and got saved later. But uh, either way, we, um, we can be saved. That old Adamic nature need not control us for the rest of our lives. With leprosy, we're at the mercy of the disease. With sin, we are Controlled, though with uh, varying degrees of uh, self-restraint. So there, that's what you might call a moral sinner. That does not describe what I was. I was just a sinner. But some on the outside appeared to be uh, upright in their lives, but like those whited sepulchers, beautiful on the outside, but within full of dead men's bones. That's a description of the heart condition that the Bible calls sin. Neither condition can be hid, despite 
the um, denial on the part on the part of the afflicted with leprosy it was evident it could be seen uh, sin uh, is disclosed eventually as well in the uh, form of our uh, countenance or in uh, by our actions uh, it will show eventually if nothing else by simply a life of defeat lepers were not personally responsible for uh, the disease, nor are we for the sin nature with which we were born, but lepers were responsible to uh, take action according to the law of Moses once they were declared or felt they were clean. And so we are responsible for uh, asking God to forgive us for our sins and to appeal to the Lord to cleanse us from that inward condition called carnality or the sin nature. Verse 13, uh, we see that without knowing it, these, well, perhaps without knowing it, these had faith. They exercised that faith by saying, Jesus, Master, have, have mercy on us. So they, they believed or had some level of understanding that this one was unique from all others who passed by. And so it is, getting saved is not an academic Exercise. It's an exercise of faith. We simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Fall on our face before him, plead for mercy, saying unclean, unclean, figuratively speaking, and asking God to forgive us and to help us to be saved. Verse 14, when Jesus heard them, when he saw them, he told them, go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed, all ten of them. And from here we lose track of the nine and find the one that turned back, verses 15 and 16. He, as I said, he, with a loud voice, he glorified God, fell on his face at Jesus' feet and gave thanks and praise. The high priest, he was going to the earthly priest, but turned back first and wanted to thank Jesus who had healed him. Jesus was the high priest, and he became the, uh, the atonement that all ten were uh, told to go to uh, the priest and make an offering that they might be acknowledged to be cleansed from their leprous condition. I could have more questions about that one leper. I wonder if he, if he was already thankful. It's hard to put ourselves in his shoes, if he wore shoes that day. But you you get the sense that he was already one who, despite his condition, would have determined within himself, if I must be a leper, I'm going to be a thankful leper. He was separated from the other nine in the sense that he was this a Samaritan, a stranger to them. They had an elevated view of their own selves and a condescending view of this one. And so, so this one was really isolated. At least the other nine had their, their peers, but he had, he had no one. But in that lonely condition, there was something within him that was also separated himself from, from the other nine. 
We don't, we don't see him as a, a complainer. We see him as someone who's thankful. Thankful people hardly complain. Complainers hardly give thanks. Coincidentally, I, I read lately of uh, Bible commentator Matthew Henry who was attacked by thieves, the story goes, and robbed of his wallet. So he, he wrote, he kept a diary apparently, he wrote in his diary that day, I'm thankful. First, I'm thankful I've never been robbed before. Second, though they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, although they took all my money, I didn't have much. And finally, he wrote, I'm thankful to be the one robbed rather than the one who was the robber. That, that's what an appreciation for God puts within. You know, it's, it's so easy. It takes no energy, does it, to complain, to criticize, to find fault. Actually, it takes a lot of energy. It takes less energy to be thankful rather than to look around and see so much that is wrong to let our attention focus on so much that is right. For that we give thanks. And uh, some of our congregational songs re reflected that. We have much to appreciate. Another psalm, we heard one psalm, but another psalm, Psalm 104, and, and we sang about that in, a, in different words, but speaking of, of the goodness of God and who is one to be appreciated, he watereth the hills from his chambers. We thank God for yesterday's rain. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle and the herb as a result of that rain. Why? The psalmist gives an answer to that question. For the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. Jesus noted that God is good even to those who fail to acknowledge him. He said, God is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He maketh the sun to shine or to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God did not discriminate uh, yesterday when he sent the showers down to uh, the valley as well as the mountains and hills above. He, he did, did not discriminate this morning when he called the sun to rise, just like he did the day before and will do again tomorrow. Whether Jesus tarries or not, the sun's going to come up tomorrow. In Lystra, Paul said God left himself, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. 
God's a good God. We know that one of the marks of the last days is that men should be unthankful among other immoral attributes. Paul wrote that to the the Romans as well, saying the invisible things from the creation of the world are clearly seen by everyone. Being understand by the, understood by the things that, that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that no one has an excuse. Because that when they knew God, there's no such, I'm just convinced there's no such thing as an atheist. And that's the irony of an atheist who must declare there is no God and thereby acknowledges God. But they knew God, they know God exists, but they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. And because of that, they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. God called them what we can't call them, and that is they became fools. At Mars Hill, Paul said, He giveth to all life and breath and all things. God is a good God. So if we were to put ourselves in the same uh, scenario about asking questions about the nine or about the one, who are you? What is your background? Where did you come from? Where are you going? Well, we want to be counted with the one. We want to follow his example and fall at Jesus' feet, giving him glory, giving him thanks, showing our appreciation to him. The psalmist put it this way, What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take of the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. We, we are blessed. We are thankful. God is a good God. Here we sit in this beautiful sanctuary and have an opportunity to drop to our knees in prayer, expressing our devotion to God. Those who are listening by way of radio or watching by way of the webcast, uh, perhaps limited uh, by means they did not choose, and yet we can give thanks to God that we can be part of the service. We can give thanks to God that we have ears to hear if we have ears to hear, eyes to see if we have eyes to see. We give thanks to God for... Uh, the breakfast we had this morning for the warmth in our homes when it is cold and many have the cooling of homes when the weather's hot. It's not an issue these days at this time of year, but uh, let's be sure to give thanks to God and give him honor and glory just as that one stranger did.